0: Well, again, it's so glad, I'm so glad to see each one of you here this morning. And uh, just uh, I always look forward to just seeing all the faces and seeing uh, us come together and worship together, sing songs. How many of you, uh, that's your favorite song, that last one we sang? I know, there's a few of you. I think we sing that on favorites night. Uh, some of you picked that. And that's one of my favorites as well. And that sure was... a. Uh, sure uh, worked in my heart. hope it did yours as well. And if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15. question for you this morning is, where are you dwelling? Where are you dwelling? You know, in life, when you become an adult, an important decision that you make is where you choose to live. A choice that you make whether you choose a city that you're going to live in, but then you're going to choose a home as well. You're going to choose a place to dwell. And it's a big decision. You spend a lot, lot of time in making that decision. Uh, you know, you, uh, perhaps if you're going to buy a house, and Ed would be able to tell you from doing appraisals in the past that many of you would get an appraisal or get a home inspection. But why do you do that? Well, because you wanna know that the place that you're gonna live in or that you're gonna dwell in is a good place to dwell. So the home inspection, uh, the, the appraisal is gonna tell you the value, but the home inspection is gonna look for certain hazards or certain defects that would tell you maybe this isn't a good place to dwell. You, so there, some houses have uh, certain hazards like asbestos that are not good for you. Uh, some have lead paint, okay? And uh, some have mold in them. And so you have an inspection, you come in. So you spend a lot of time deciding where you're going to live, where you're going to dwell. You know, people right now are flooding out of California because they've decided this is not a good place to live. And they've decided that they're gonna go to other places like Texas. And uh, it always amazes me though that, that when you leave the, the place that you were at and still have the same ideology and vote that way, you're gonna create the same thing where you go to. But uh, that's a little off topic, but, um, <laughs> but th- that's true. So there's people flooding out of California because they don't want to live there anymore. There's a problem that we all can have. It's not so much where our bodies dwell, but it's where our minds dwell. And sometimes it's not a good place and we need to move. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. It's not our physical bodies, even though that's important. We spent a lot of time on on that, but how much time do we spend on, spend on where our minds are dwelling, what our minds dwell on? And that's critical as well. So if we take such care where our bodies dwell, perhaps we should take just as greater, greater care of our spirit as well. You know, there's a few places that our minds should not dwell. There's a few places where I'm going to point out this morning that our minds should not dwell and should not lay up residence. And there's a, better dwelling, there's a better dwelling place. There's a proper dwelling place. The, the first place I want to mention is a place that we don't want to camp in and dwell in is the past. Is the past. You know, the past can be a good place to visit, okay, like Chicago. Maybe not a great place to live. You know, there's good memories from the past, there's bad memories from the past. We learn lessons from the past, uh, we can maybe uh, enjoy some memories from the past, but it's not a good place to live. But I think sometimes we choose to dwell in the past, and that's where we live, and that's where we set up camp, that's where we set up our homes in our mind, and we're living in the past. Uh, It's it's a lousy place to dwell because you can't do anything in the past, there's nothing to build upon, there's nothing to change, you can't do anything in the past, Uh, and uh, so dwelling and sitting there, it becomes uh, a, a lousy place to take up residence. It robs you of the present and the future, so you're not doing anything about what you can do today, you're not doing anything about what you can do tomorrow or preparing for tomorrow. In the Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14 says this, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So as he says, I says I have not apprehended, I have not arrived okay? And there's things in the past I'm not going to dwell on, or even the victories I'm not going to dwell on, but I'm going to turn my eyes off of that, I'm going to look towards the prize in the future, which is a high calling of, of uh, God in Christ Jesus. So he said, that's a better place for my mind to dwell. Instead of the past, I'm going to dwell on the future that I have in Christ. And the finish line, so he says, So we learn from the Apostle Paul, as well, not to dwell in the past. Another place to not, at least for me, maybe for you, okay, I don't want to dwell in a house that I have built, okay? And you don't either. I'm not a good carpenter, okay? I could build a house and, you know, it may stand, it may not, you know, it's not, uh, it's going to have some defects, okay? I guarantee you that. My construction abilities. Do not give me confidence to dwell in anything that I have built. But often we are dwelling on this world that man and all the problems that man has created. So we're in our minds, we're dwelling in all the cares of the world. And yes, God created the world, but this is not the world He created. The problems that we experience in this world are a result of man and what we have done in our sin. So dwelling on the cares of this world is not a good place to dwell either. Colossians 3.2 says, set your affections on things above, not on the things on the earth. So it's better, a better place to dwell in our mind is on the, uh, on the things of heaven and the things of eternity, as opposed to the cares of this world but too often we've chosen to lay up residence on the cares of this world and our mind is dwelling on all the problems that we have. And that's not a good place to dwell either. John fourteen two says in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Don't you believe that God has uh, better construction skills than we do? You believe heaven is a much better, we say this kind of arbitrarily, heaven's a better place, he's in a better place. It is a better place. It's perfect. And that's our destination. That's our home. And that's where our affections should be. And that's something that we should dwell on, is the things of heaven. And that's where... Our destination is if you are saved. Another place we should not dwell is someone else's home. Someone else's home. You know, you ever walked into someone's house and just started fixing things? I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going to fix that for you and uh, just go about fixing things. They're going to look at you kind of strange, right? They're going to tell you what? This is not your home. You ever seen those commercials? Uh, some insurance, I think insurance commercial, and uh, there's this young couple, and they have their aunt's are staying there, and the aunts is just telling them all the problems, all the problems, all the problems, and the, the aunt doesn't live. It's not your home. You know, too often we set up our dwelling place in our minds on other people and other people's problems that are none of your business, and you try to fix their problems, and they haven't even invited you to help. THAT'S NOT A GOOD PLACE TO DWELL. I WAS READING AN ARTICLE ABOUT A SQUATTER. THERE'S THIS MAN, KEN FOSTER. I'M JUST GOING TO READ PART OF THE ARTICLE TO YOU. KEN FOSTER SAYS HE KNEW SOMETHING WAS WRONG THE INSTANT HE RETURNED TO HIS HOUSE IN UNION, SOUTH CAROLINA LAST WEEK. THIS WAS A COUPLE YEARS AGO. A DOG HE'D NEVER SEEN BEFORE WAS IN HIS YARD. And a car seat was barricading his front door, he told the local Fox affiliate. He wasn't sure what was going on. Then he heard a baby cry. He didn't have a baby. Moments later, a woman he was unfamiliar with poked her head out of the door and asked, What are you doing in my house? Foster said, I said, What are you doing in my house? I live here. Now, standing outside his house while the woman remained inside the door shut, Foster called immediately called 911. When police arrived, the woman opened the door and said, Can I help you? The woman answered the door and says, Can I help you, the police officer? And he replied to the woman, Yeah, the first thing you can do is get out of my house. I thought that was funny. How you, she's even, even with the police officer there, she's, she's going on to pretend it's her house. This is a true story. The article goes on to say the woman identified with police as I'm not gonna read her name because maybe she's repented, uh, left the house wearing Foster's wife's clothes from head to toe. See, he, he was dressing in her clothes. All the kids were wearing the children's clothing. The dog he saw had urinated in the house and the family that had allegedly moved in to clean his clean home had trashed it. He said even eating his home food. You know what, you don't treat someone else's home as well as you treat your own usually. Um, but then he says, "I spoke to the offer who, who responded, who said that in her mind, she thought she lived there." Sometimes we can be like that in our minds. You take on other people's problems, OK? And you, you may, and you can also apply this to uh, covetness, coveting other people's uh, lives and things in their lives. And you can think about those things, and that's not a good place to dwell as well. In her mind, she thought she lived there. We can see this real event is insane. We'd all say that is insane. However, many times our minds drift to where it does not belong in the lives of other people. Now, there is a time to get involved in the lives of other people, but there's a time to not as well. And it's always better when you're invited. Whether it is dwelling on someone else's problems or being envious of someone else, that is not where we should dwell. It's not a good idea to spend time dwelling on other people's problems. You know, Bill Gates, there's a, there's a documentary out called Inside Bill's Brain. Now, I don't wanna live there either. <laughs> I don't know what's inside Bill's brain, okay? Uh, so, you, you ever hear someone, they, they can tell you what everybody's thinking. Man, they can, I know what he's thinking. You know, I know what he's thinking. No, you don't, (laughs) you can't. You cannot see the heart of individuals. It's not a good place to dwell to try to get into someone else's mind. Let the psychiatrist do that, it's not very good. Okay, we're gonna look at the consequence. There's a consequences though, of dwelling in in our mind in places that we should not dwell. There's consequences of dwelling on the wrong things. Dwelling on the wrong things is like dwelling in a home with bad water that will make you sick. Would it have you stay in a home where you know the water that comes through the tap is making you sick? Or there's other things in the home, asbestos, lead, mold, that's making you sick. Would you stay and continue to dwell there? You're either going to get it fixed or you're going to move out, right? Hopefully, okay. But two times we choose to remain dwelling in those places that are not good for us. And it's like drinking bad water. Would you buy a home with an outhouse built right above the well? (laughs) No, you wouldn't. I'm sure Ed could tell you this. And a home inspector is going to look to make sure the septic tank is not too close to the well. Why? Because it'll make you sick if it gets into the water. It'll make you sick. You know, in Flint, Michigan, in April of 2014, officials for the city of Flint, I'm sure you heard of this in the news, it wasn't that long ago, they made a decision to switch their water source of the city. From uh, Lake Huron and the Detroit River, they're going to switch it over to Flint River. And that's where they're going to get the water from. And uh, they, they decided this for fiscal reasons, for financial reasons, so they made the decision, so they implemented these, this change. And, uh, it wasn't long after that, that in August of the same year, that residents began to complain. Uh, the color, the taste, and the odor of the water was not good. So they began to say, that, you know, this something about this water is not right. Shortly after that, in October, General Motors stopped using Flint water because high levels of chlorine were corroding car parts. You know, so if, By the way, if you bought a car in 2014 for GM, you might wanna check, get it checked out because it doesn't sound like they had a real good, good uh, assembly line going there with their parts for a couple of months there in 2014. The, the, the water was corroding the parts. Wait, what did GM do? They stopped using the water, okay? This is not good for our cars, it's not good. So they, they switched and of course they had the resources, but they switched and they, they went back and got their water from a different source. Now in January of 2015, residents began to have health issues. Now they're several months into drinking this water, and it was the health issues were related to that water consumption. And In February, the EPA discovered that one home in Flint had lead level in the water seven times higher than acceptable limits. It was making them sick. It was later estimated that over 40% of the homes in Flint had elevated levels of lead in the water, exposing over 100,000 residences. They had a big problem. Now, how many of you during this time would have chose to move to Flint, Michigan? Probably not very many of you knew that that was a bad place to live. You said, I don't want to live there. The water's bad. It's going to make me sick. I'm going to move out of there. As a matter of fact, many wanted to move out of there. It was not a place you'd want to dwell. I'm afraid, however, that each and every one of us at some point in time has found ourselves drinking from a polluted water source. And it's making us sick spiritually. And we continue to stay there and dwell there when we need to move. We need to make a change. Bitter water made sweet. Look at it back to our scripture, Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And look at verse 22. So, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. So, this is after the, they have been set free from Egypt, from bondage, and they are on their way to the promised land, and they're in the wilderness, and they, now they're in the wilderness. And they had go, they'd go from place to place setting up camp, the places that they would dwell. You can see that in Numbers. You'd see they set up, tent, they set up their tent and from town to town to town, from place to place to place. Now they come to this place that they were going to set up, and they found no water. In verse 23, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. The name of the city is called Mara, which means bitter. In verse 24, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They were thirsty, but the only water source was bitter water. It was no good. The children of Israel, here they had been freed from captivity. They had experienced God's hand of protection. They experienced his miracles from crossing the Red Sea. And they found, and they got all over his place, and they found themselves in a bitter dwelling place. They were found themselves in a bitter dwelling place. It's a terrible place to dwell. Have you ever been there where life just seems bitter? Okay. That's where they found themselves. They're in this place. They're dwelling there. and The water's bitter. Worse yet, if you remain there and you keep drinking from a well of bitterness, you're going to get sick. And not only you, and this is key, The people around you are going to get sick too. They might get sick of you, (laughs) okay? But you're going to make yourself sick and you're going to make others sick. You know, I believe God was teaching the children of Israel a lesson. You know, perhaps the difficulty we are, you may be experiencing life or have experienced in life or will experience in life, is coming from God's loving hand. Of correction, you ever considered this? Maybe what you're dealing with, or maybe what you're dealing with the past, or maybe what you're thinking to the future—some things you may deal with. Have you considered God's loving hand of correction? What's going on in your life? Uh, it's never fun. Does anybody, you know, when you were young and your dad? Or your mom corrected you, go, whew, that was great, man. That was great. You know, we're looking forward to that. Or when your mom says, wait till dad gets home and you're going to, and, and you all day go along, boy, I can't wait. I can't wait for that to come. We don't do that, right? All right. But sometimes God is teaching us a lesson. Hebrews 12 11, Um it says this, and I'm just going to read quickly. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness and of them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let, her, but let it rather be he goes, now, as children, we experience chastening sometimes from God, and, uh, and, but what's important to understand that it's a loving hand of chastening. It's not maybe perhaps like uh, your father or my father, where they, maybe they chastened us out of anger, but it, he does it out of love. Now, he goes on to say, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. You know, that can happen where a root of bitterness springs up, and those around, it says, many be defiled. But it said before that, that we must look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. God's got enough grace for you, whatever you're dealing with. But we can fail the grace of God. We need to look diligently. So, not only that, not only can bitterness, can it make you sick, those around you sick, it can also Invite a, someone to dwell in your heart that you don't want. You don't want there. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says this, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. You know, if you are, there's something that's causing you and your anger and you're not dealing with it you need to deal with it right away the warning comes next it says neither give place to the devil when we continue to drink from the wells of bitterness and we continue to dwell there and dwell there and dwell there we begin to get sick other people get begin to get sick around us and then the devil comes in and sets up residence. Now, let's be clear. You cannot be possessed as a Christian, okay? What's been made clean cannot be made unclean. You cannot be possessed by a demon. Or, or, However, you can give room for the devil to work in your life, in your mind, and allow him to set up a place, a room. The word place means a room. You can allow him to set up place in your mind where he begins to operate through your life. And now you're doing his bidding. So that's a warning. So now, the, now you've got to deal with those lies the devil plants in your mind. If you're bitter, you are ripe for the lies of the devil. You are ripe for his lies. So it's important that we let God be God, let him handle matters of injustice. You've been treated poorly. Treated wrong, don't raise your hand because it's true for everybody. There's not a person in here that has not experienced injustice in their life. All of us have. But God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So we don't want to dwell in that place of bitterness. So I have the circumstances of life, injustices. Maybe a friend has betrayed you. Ever had a friend betray you? Okay, I'm sure you all have at some time or another. Perhaps other friends have abandoned you. Maybe the, those that love you do not love you back. And you can become, start to dwell in this bitter dwelling place that's making you sick. By the way, Jesus experienced all of those things. Every single one of those things. We'll get to that in a moment. So now we're gonna look at the solution, the solution to a bitter dwelling place. Do you know what the key mistake of the officials in Flint, Michigan made? There was one key mistake that led to uh, lead leaking, leaching into the pipes and making everybody sick. That key mistake was this. And we make the same mistake mistake in our lives spiritually. I'll get to that in a moment. But this is the mistake they made. They forgot to add a key ingredient that would have kept the water from getting contaminated. They they did not add a corrosion inhibitor. The water was going through lead pipes. And if they had added a corrosion inhibitor, it would have kept the lead from leaching into the water and making everybody sick. Because of that, chlorine from the water corroded the lead and, and the pipes allowing the lead to leach in. You know, in order for the water at the, at, remember the children of Israel, they're now, they're dwelling at this bitter place called Marah. And you can turn in your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 15, you're going to see, what I believe is the ingredient that we must add to our lives if we want to turn the bitterness of life to sweetness. Who doesn't want that in our lives? Or would you rather continue to live in drinking that bitter water? So, if you look with me back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 15. Now, this is after uh, they drank from the water, it was bitter, and look at what Moses did, first of all. He said, And he cried unto the Lord. And he cried unto the Lord. So Moses, he's listening to the people. The water's bitter. They're in this bitter dwelling place. And Moses, what does he He goes to the Lord and he cries out. This was not a, just a small cry. The word "cried" means shriek. This was a serious plea to God. God, here we are. We're thirsty and there's no good water. So he cried unto the Lord. That is the first thing we should do. Yeah, whatever's going on in your life, we need to go to our Heavenly Father and plead with Him. Cry out to Him. He wants to, he wants to help you. Remember, He is a loving Father. So he says, and he cried unto the Lord. What a God! He immediately answered the prayer. He said, "The Lord showed him a tree, which, when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet." So God provided a solution. He provided an ingredient of you, if you will, that would make this bitter dwelling place a place with sweet water. And it was a tree. I believe that tree represents the cross of Calvary. I believe that tree represents the cross of Calvary. When the tree was added to the waters, the waters were made sweet. And oftentimes, when we fail to look at life through the lens of the cross, life gets bitter. But if we can look at the issues of life through the cross, life becomes sweet once again. Okay, Charles Spurgeon once said this, he said, Your sorrow itself shall be turned into joy, not the sorrow to be taken away and joy to be put in its place, but the very sorrow which now grieves you shall be turned into joy. God not only takes away the bitterness and gives sweetness in its place, but get this, but turns the bitterness into sweetness itself. That's what he did. He took the circumstance of life, that the the children of Israel found themselves, they took the circumstances, they were in a place of bitterness, and he didn't didn't take them out of that place. Instead, he made the water sweet where they were at. God doesn't always remove the circumstances, but you can still have a joy in your life once we add the cross into the equation. Once we add Christ's sacrifice into the equation. But too often we leave out that ingredient. And we're looking at life through our lens, through our way of thinking. And we're leaving out the cross. And we begin to get sick. So God won't always change the circumstances. The children of Israel were still in the desert. The circumstances were the same. But the water was sweet. Do you know you can enjoy life in the midst of trouble? We've got to drink from the good well. So the cross gives us a proper way of viewing our trials. Now how bitter would life be as a Christian without the cross? We'd have no hope, right? We had nothing to turn to, nowhere to look. But we do. But too often, we fail to go to the cross. So we carry and dwell in a place of bitterness. Well, God has a better place for us to dwell. Hebrews chapter twelve verses one and two says this: Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, so he says. The, the previous chapter was a chapter, the great chapter of the hall of faith, and he they spoke of all these great uh, men of faith. And he says, so since uh, we had all these people go before us that lived uh, uh, and lived the lives of faith, and we can look back to their example. He says, let us lay aside every weight. You know, the Apostle Paul often compared the Christian life to a a race or a marathon. Boy, it is hard to run a race carrying a bunch of weights on you. No one ever goes to the track meet and they say, okay, here's a 50 pound dumbbell. Now carry that. That'll help you in your race. How many times are we carrying weights that we should not carry? And we're getting tired, we're getting bitter. We gotta drop the weights, get rid of them. He said, lay aside those weights. You're running a race. You can't afford to carry those weights. We have the weights of a a burden. Maybe you have children and you're concerned about and uh, you're you're dwelling on all these problems that they have or perhaps uh, it's uh, some sort of, a familiar issue with other people in the family maybe it's a work issue maybe it's all kinds of issues maybe it's a friend that's betrayed all it's all sorts of weights that we carry maybe it's sin from your past that you are carrying you're loaded down with guilt and shame we need to take it to the cross and and drop and leave it there at the cross you do not have to carry that weight Just lay them aside then he goes on to say, "In the sin which does easily beset us. You know, we all have a besetting sin. We all have, to have that one thing that seems to crop up and get us, okay? And he says, we need to deal with that, okay? We need to deal with that as well. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Then he says this, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame as sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I'm concerned that too many Christians are are in a dangerous place of fainting in their race. And I tell you what, if you drink in bitter waters, you're going to faint. You're gonna drop out of the race. You're gonna quit. You gotta start drinking the good water. You gotta start drinking the good water. Whatever problems that you're facing, remember this. Also, it's the not the last stop in your life. It's, the not, it's not the last stop in your life. Look back at Exodus chapter 15, the very last verse in Exodus chapter 15. So they had to stop at Mara, and it was bitter. The water was bitter. They didn't consider what the next stop was. To be. They were only considered about where they were at that moment. The water was bitter. But look what the next stop was going to be after they left Mara. Verse 27, and they came to Elam. This is the next stop. It was Elam, where there are 12 wells of water in score and 10 palm trees. And they camped there by the waters. The next stop had plenty of water. There was another stop yet ahead of them beyond where they were in that time. How, have you considered the fact that what God has for you in the future? Now, what if they just said, we're just gonna continue to stay at Mara"? Yes, he made the water sweet. But in the future, God had these wonderful wells of water for them. Where you're at right now is just a it's just a stopping point, but it's not the end of the road. Okay, Mara was just a stop along the path. The very next stop had plenty of good water. The last, we're gonna close with this, we're gonna look at what the proper dwelling place. Where should we dwell? Where should we set up camp? Instead of dwelling on the bitter circumstances of life, we should remember the springs of the living water that Jesus spoke of to the Samaritan woman at the well. How many remember when Jesus uh, met at Jacob's well, the, the Samaritan woman? You remember the story, okay? I'll read a portion of it to you. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. So the woman was thirsty and uh, and Jesus asked for water, and they had this conversation about the water. And Jesus said, Whoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. This is the water I want, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Well, what was Jesus talking about? What was this water that he was talking about uh, that would cause you to not thirst anymore, that it would quench your thirst and you'd be content and satisfied no matter, where. You don't, no matter where you are in life? What was he talking about? Well, we have to go on in John to find out in chapter 7. In chapter 7. In verse 37, it starts and it says, In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Then here's the answer. Here's the answer. But this spake he of the Spirit. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit, that if you're a Christian, dwells in you, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Instead of dwelling on the problem of the problems of the world, which is the dominion of Satan, by the way, we need to draw strength from the one that indwells us. The Holy Spirit, which will give you strength, will give you grace to have joy and sweetness of life. But we have to draw from Him because He indwells us. 1 John 4, 4 says this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We act defeated many times, forgetting the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And we try to live life under our own understanding, under our own power, and we begin to faint. We're carrying all this weight. We're carrying this bitterness. and We're drinking the bitterness of life. And God says, I'm with you. My Spirit is in you. Drink from my power, from my Spirit. Remember what Jesus said on the cross right before He took His last breath? This is also in John as well, John chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So Jesus is on the cross. Remember, he was, he was on the cross for quite a while. He says, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What scripture was he referring to in, in verse 28 that, that needed to be fulfilled? I believe he's referring to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 in verse 21 it says this, They gave me also gall for my meat and my, and my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. They gave Him gall while He was on the cross. He gave, them, he gave Him gall, which is a bitter, uh, a bitter substance. that was followed by sour wine. So here is cross, or Jesus on the cross. He suffered all injustice. His friends betrayed Him. His, uh, uh, those that He loved were crucifying Him. And uh, His closest ones abandoned Him. And here He is on the cross, innocent. Now they're giving Him bitter substance and sour wine he died a bitter death why so we do not have to live a bitter life it's at the cross where we can find sweetness of life so the key to overcoming bitterness is this to dwell on the gospel all those other things that we dwell on, all those other places we set up camp, we got to make a decision to change our mind and add the gospel to the equation and set up camp there, at the cross of Calvary, and the bitterness of life becomes sweet once again. Think of Psalm fifty-one, where David said, "Return unto me the joy of my salvation." He found himself in a in a, this in this where he had repented of his sin, he had sinned, he repented of his sin, but he went to the cross. He said, Lord, return unto me the joy. Is it missing from your life the joy of your salvation? Maybe you need to go back to the cross and cry out to God and say, Lord, return unto me that joy that I once had. And begin drinking from the springs of living water. Once again, instead of the springs of bitterness, There's a famous hymn that we sing called Springs of Living Water, written by John Peterson in 1950, and it goes like this. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came, where springs of living water did abound. Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water, a wonderful and bountiful supply. Oh, how sweet the living water from the hills of God. It makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and blessing mark the path I've trod. I'm shouting hallelujah every day. How often have we sang that song and forgot the message within it. He's saying... That's where we need to dwell, at the cross of Calvary, drinking from the springs of living water that will not run dry if we're willing to just drink. So let's start drinking from that spring of living water. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever, if you found your place of dwelling in a place of bitterness, make the decision. It's time to move on to a better dwelling place, the place that Christ has set up for us where we can drink the living water. Let's pray.